is so good. I love the Christmas season. A time to behold Jesus, to celebrate what God has done, giving us his one and only son. Have you ever had the opportunity just to hold a baby in your arms and just stare in wonder? You've thought to yourself, this is a miracle. I remember holding each of my uh, five children for the first time and just holding them in wonder, amazed that I have seen God do something in providing us this child. I would be overwhelmed with joy and gratitude and humility. Even when they were young babies, I would walk into their rooms and just watch them sleep and just peer into their cribs and be amazed at what I saw. I, even to this day, I still do it. I'll go into my kids' rooms while they're sleeping and I'll just stare at them. In fact, one of my kids at breakfast last week, he said, Dad, do you watch me while I sleep? And I said, yes, I just, I love you so much and I love praying over you and I just love looking at you in amazement. And he looked back at me and said, that's weird. <laughs> but that's, that's what we get to do, man, as parents. Have you ever done that where you just look upon this child, upon this grandchild, and you are just amazed at what you get to see in this baby? Well, that is a picture of what Christmas is all about. It's gathering around a stable. It's gathering over the railings of the manger and you're staring at a baby. But not just any baby, a king. And that is what Isaiah chapter nine is driving us towards. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Isaiah chapter nine. And as you're turning there, I want to take just a moment and just say thank you so much for, for praying for me. Um, last week, I had the opportunity to go spend some time with my dad as he is walking through the process of radiation treatments for his cancer. And it was just such a sweet time uh, to be with my family last week to serve and care for my, my parents. Thank you. So many of you have shared with me that you're praying for me and you're praying for my family and praying for my dad. And I can't tell you how much that means to me. Thank you so much for praying. Uh, I'm grateful for weeks like this where it's just really precious time to get to spend time loving on my dad. We're beginning a, a sermon series today leading up to Christmas called The King Has Come. Now, we all know this, but Christmas we did, did not begin in a department store. It did not begin at the North Pole, but in a stable outside of Bethlehem. 2,000 years ago, a momentous event occurred in the shepherding village that would change the world forever. But for us as believers, the, the significance of that moment is we see what happened in that God was culminating history and leading up to the moment of the birth of this baby. Well, for us to have a deeper understanding of Christmas, we have to look into the history of Israel to get a better grasp of what actually happened. Now, for some of you, you just heard me say the word history, and internally you're going, boo, like, I don't want to hear it. But I want you to know, you got to hang with me here, because history is important. So if you go back to after the time of the judges, the people of Israel said, we want a king. And God was like, well, I will be your king. And they didn't know, we want an earthly king, like all the nations around us. 
And so God says, okay, I'll give you a king. Saul becomes the first king over Israel and he leads well at first, but then he does not finish well. So they remove Saul from leadership and a new king rises up named David. David starts off well, but then he makes some fumbles along the way. But when you get to 2 Samuel chapter 7, you see where God makes a covenant with David. He says, David, from your offspring, someone from your own household, they are going to sit on your throne forever. After David, Solomon rises up as the new king over Israel. He starts well, but then he marries all these foreign wives who turn his heart away from the Lord. After Solomon, there was Rehoboam, his son. And Rehoboam did not start well at all. In fact, the entire nation of Israel despised him so much, they said, that's it, we're out of here. So you had a split that took place in the nation of Israel. Ten tribes went to the north, they became known as Israel. Two tribes stayed in the south called Judah. And so from that point forward, the, the king, there are now two kingdoms, the north and the south. These two divisions, Jeroboam becomes the first king of the north in Israel. Rehoboam becomes king in the south over Judah. The northern kingdom, Israel, they only had evil, wicked kings. They did not have a single king who pointed them towards the Lord. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah, they had some good kings and bad kings. Well, when you get to Isaiah chapter 7 through 9, we see where evil King Ahaz, the king of Judah, he was one of their bad ones, is ruling and he's leading over the nation. And what we see happening in the text is God is telling his people that, that judgment is coming. Israel in the north, they're going to face judgment and the nation of Assyria is going to come in and sack them, take them over. Assyria will then come south to Judah. And you need to get ready because when they come, it's going to be really, really bad. So the people are panicking. There's doom. There's gloom. There's fear over this nation coming. But God says, trust me. Trust me. Even in the midst of this, and even you, Ahaz, I want you to trust me. But even in the midst of this coming judgment of this nation that's going to rise up against Judah, God promises his people, I'm going to give you victory. And what we see in Isaiah 9, we see verse 2, there's a great light that's coming to give light to those who are in the darkness. Verse 3, there's coming a day of rejoicing. Verse 4, there's going to be an end of war. Okay, so the question is, who is the light? Who is the one who provides rejoicing for God's people? Who's the one who's going to end the war? Who should the people be looking for? Isaiah then tells us in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. You see, God's promise of light, God's promise of rejoicing, God's promise of the end of war is going to be wrapped up in this child, a baby who's going to change the world. You see, Christmas is a celebration of God taking on human flesh, becoming like one of us. And we behold, we, we look and wonder at what God has done. He has given us Jesus. Therefore, this Christmas, I want you to see first that this baby is a gift. 
It's a gift, verse six. It says, for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. You see, this child will be born for us. You see it there in the text? This child's gonna be given to us. You see, God's gift is not a weapon to defeat his enemies. It's not gold to go and buy land. It is his own son. And not just any son, but the fullness of God in helpless babe. This is in fulfillment of what happens, uh, what Isaiah spoke of earlier in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And when she says, see, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel which means God with us. You and I, living on this side of redemptive history, we know that this baby is the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said it like this in Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman. You see, this baby that Isaiah is looking forward to is the word, John 1.14, who is the word become flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Don't miss this. The greatest gift God could give us is himself. This is the greatest thing God could ever give you. God taking on human flesh and blood. It's a sign of his goodness and love towards us. He indeed, verse six, is given to us. God's grace is on display through his one and only son. The first verse that many of you memorized for the very first time, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he, what church? He gave. God is a generous God. He loves to give good gifts. And at Christmas, he gave us the greatest gift of all found in his son, Jesus. Let's say hypothetically that you have developed a heart condition. The doctors have met with you and said, hey, you're not going to make it much longer. This is going to be your last Christmas. And you go to an office Christmas party where people are giving out gifts. The first person brings you socks. You're sitting here, thanks? Okay, who invited that guy? Next person, they give you diamonds. Wow, oh my goodness, thank you. Someone else says, you know, I'm gonna go ahead and just give you a car. What? Wow, thank you. The last gift is in an envelope. And you open it up and inside is a card. And it's one of your coworkers who says, I'm going to go ahead and give you my heart. How would you respond? Someone who's willing to give up their own life so that you can live? You'd be thinking, Kenneth, that would never happen. But it did. God sent forth his son who said, I'm going to volunteer I'm going to take your place. I'm going to die for you so that you don't have to. And those who love and trust and follow Jesus, you no longer die. You have eternal life. It's yours for the taking. Those who reject this free gift, you die. Those who receive this free gift, you live. 
And so at Christmas time, you and I, we respond in the same way as if someone gave up their own life for us because that's ultimately what God did for us through his son. He sent forth Jesus who came for one purpose and that's to go to the cross to die in your place for his blood to be shed so that you can be forgiven of your sin. The beauty of Christmas is that you see this wonderful gift that God has given you and you say thank you to the one who is so generous. So God has graciously given you his son as a gift, but number two, this Christmas, behold, this baby will rule will rule, verse six, and the governments will be on his shoulders. This baby is the king whose government is upon him. In fact, the text here is pointing us to not only the king, but also his kingdom. If you look at verse seven, you see this king's kingdom. It says, the dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. This king, he will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. You see, this king's dominion, verse seven, it's vast and it's eternal. His reign, he's gonna be one who rules with justice and righteousness. Don't we all want that? Don't we all want a king or a leader who's a man of integrity who will lead with justice and righteousness? There's a longing within the heart of all people to have that kind of king. Well, that's the kind of king we have in Bethlehem. A king who rules with justice and righteousness. The, this baby, he's gonna rule because the government's gonna be on his shoulders. It's gonna be upon him to lead. It is said of this baby in Daniel 7, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Revelation 11 tells us about this baby's eternal reign. It says, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. And Revelation 19 tells us that this baby is greater than every earthly authority. Revelation 19, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And yet this baby did not remain a baby. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. He took on the role of a man. And he grew, he lived a perfect sinless life that you and I couldn't live. And he performed miracles, he raised the dead, he healed the sick, and he went to the cross. After his cross, he was vindicated on the third day. He rose from the grave. For more than for 40 days, he appeared to people, showing himself as the risen Christ, as the one that even death itself cannot defeat him. 
After 40 days, he went up on a mountain and he ascended back up into heaven where he sat down at the right hand of God the Father where even right now Jesus is ruling and reigning over all things. Behold this baby. See this king. This Christmas, number three, I want you to see that this baby, he will amaze. He will amaze. Verse six, he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah gives these four titles for this this coming child. He will be named Wonderful Counselor. This, This title here, it carries the idea of doing the miraculous, the extraordinary, something wonderful. God will work through this son to perform the miraculous. He indeed is full of wonder. Hear me today. You can never look at Jesus and be bored. When you see him for who he is, there is no yawning in his presence. There is no shrugging of the shoulders when you behold the wonder of this man. And yet he is the wonderful counselor. He's full of wisdom. If you fast forward two chapters to Isaiah 11, uh, verse 2, it says, The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. You see, Jesus is the wisdom of God, and all of God's wisdom is wrapped up in him. All of us every day are faced with difficult decisions and painful choices and uncertain circumstances. We need advice. We need wisdom. We need help. God gives you a wonderful counselor. He gives you his son. Have you sought Jesus for the decision that's on your mind right now? For that situation right now that just seems... I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What do I do in this situation? Have you sought the insight and wisdom of this wonderful counselor? Are you fearful? Take your fears to the wonderful counselor. Are you anxious? Give your anxiety to your wonderful counselor. Are you worried Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Are you uncertain of the future? Trust the one who holds your future. See, before you go seeking out the wisdom of others, seek the wisdom of Jesus, your wonderful counselor. I want you to see, second, he's mighty God. The powerful God who spoke the cosmos into existence, the one who set the earth on its foundations, the one who made the stars and calls them each by name, the one who sustains the universe by the word of his power, became like one of us. He took on flesh. He became like us. This baby born for us is mighty God. You see, in Christ, the infinite would become an infant. The transcendent would become imminent. The creator would become a child. God would become man. 
You see, this name, verse 6, is a declaration of the deity of Christ. Jesus is the eternal, mighty God who took on flesh at Christmas. He is the mighty God born in Bethlehem. Thirdly, I want you to see he is the eternal father. Eternal father. Now note, this is not a reference to the first person of the Trinity. Okay, this, though the father and the son, they are the same in essence, they're equal in power and glory, they are still distinct in person. Though they are one God, they have different roles, different relevances, different relationships. So the question is, how is God the Son, the eternal Father? Well, I want you to see that this Messiah is like a father to his people. That's Isaiah's point here, is that this, this baby, this king, he's going to rule and he's going to reign like a father. Even in some Hebrew uh, parts of the Hebrew language, father at times can mean source, So he is the source of eternity. He is the one who's going to lead like a father. And just as a father cares for his people, Jesus cares for you. He adopted you. He loves you like a perfect father. He cares for you. He gave his life for you. He's made you precious and very great promises. Never am I going to leave you. Never am I going to forsake you. Never am I going to say, you know what? I'm done with you. He will never say that to you. He never walks out the door and never returns. No, 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 no. He is your eternal father. And as eternal, all of his promises are dependent upon how long he exists. And since Jesus is eternal, so are his promises, which means this, you are forgiven forever. All of your sins, not in part, but the whole, they are nailed to Jesus. You've been forgiven forever. Why? Because Jesus is your eternal father. The beauty of the work of God in Christ, this baby. He comes and he says, listen, whatever guilt and shame that you're carrying right now, you bring it to the cross and you leave it there. Micah 7.19. Go home and read that this afternoon. Micah 7.19. It says, he has compassion on us and he casts all our sins into the depth of the seas. You ever lost anything in the ocean? It's gone. So were your sins. They're gone. You're washed. You're clean. You're justified. You've been sanctified. You have been saved by King Jesus. He does not rub your past in your face. He doesn't shame you. He doesn't bring up old sins like, do you remember when? He doesn't do that because he's the eternal father and he shall reign forever and ever. Fourthly, I want you to see that he is the prince of peace. Jesus is the peacemaker. You know, there's three ways that Jesus brings peace to us. It's not in your notes, but I'll just throw them at you. The first, Jesus um, brings peace with God peace with God. So Romans 
5, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you and I, before we knew Jesus, we were at war against God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. God is holy and perfect, and we are not. We are in big trouble. And so there is enmity, there is war, there is separation. And religion can't get to him, philosophy can't get to him, good works can't get to him because he's perfect and we are not. We needed a mediator. We needed someone who would go between God and man, enter Jesus of Nazareth who is 100% God and 100% man. He perfectly represents both parties in his mediation and through his shed blood on the cross, he has made peace between God and man. Jesus has made a way for you to have peace with God because he fully represented us and yet he never sinned. He was perfect in all of his ways because he was God. And yet as our federal head, he has always represented us right there at the cross. We look to him by faith. And so God pours out his wrath, not upon you, but upon Jesus at the cross. He is the propitiation for your sins. He satisfied God's wrath for all of your shortcomings. Jesus took it all. But not only does Jesus provide for you peace with God, he also gives you, secondly, the peace of God. The peace of God. In Philippians chapter four, make sure I get this right, verse seven, Paul says, the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hear me today, the world cannot give you peace. It can't. It's not made that way. The world cannot give you inner peace. It's not gonna happen. You know, retail therapy is not gonna satisfy it. Having all the kids home for Christmas is not gonna satisfy it. Having a full refrigerator is not gonna satisfy it. All good things in and of themselves. But there's a sense in which inner peace is only found in Christ. Which means no matter what circumstances you face, God says, I'm gonna give you my peace. It's found by resting in me. So whether it's a cancer diagnosis or a lost job or you didn't get the scholarship or you've had someone divorce you or say, I'm not interested, get away from me, God says, I'm still gonna give you peace. So that in, in your pain, God gives you his peace. So you have peace with God, you have the peace of God, but you also have peace with man. Peace with man. In Romans 12, verse 18, Paul says, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In Hebrews 12, 14, he says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. December the 25th of 1914 is a very unique day in history. It's Christmas Day during World War I. And on the Western Front, 100,000 soldiers call a truce for one day. They met in an area called no man's land. It's in between each of their sides and they came out. They came and they started sharing gifts. They sang Christmas carols. They gave dead bodies back to one another so that they might have proper funerals. You know what broke out? A soccer game. 
Here's a picture of what happened on Christmas Day of 1914. Isn't it interesting how the birth of Jesus, the celebration of God coming to us, shows that he is indeed the Prince of Peace? For one day, these enemies, they became friends. They stopped shooting each other. They stopped trying to hurt one another. They pressed pause, and there was peace. This is what happens through the birth of this baby. This week, I was at my son's basketball game. I'm helping coach his team, and one of the parents of the other kids on his team came up to me. It's an African-American man I'm building a friendship with, and I said, hey, man, how's your day going? And he said, not good. In fact, it's been terrible. Caught me off guard, and I said, well, man, what's going on? And he said, a coworker of mine today made the comment, I wish all of the Mexicans and black people would go back to where they came from. And on the brink of tears, he said, I can't believe he said that to me. And he said, this is the guy who goes around always talking about the Bible. And I said, I am so sorry. I said, Revelation chapter 7 says there's coming a day in which every tribe and tongue and people and nation are going to be gathered around the throne of Jesus. And we're going to be worshiping him with passion. And it's going to be a multicultural, multi-ethnic event. And God has promised that it's going to happen. And I want you to know, I love you, but more than that, Jesus loves you. And by the way, just because someone talks about Jesus doesn't mean that they know Jesus. And we put our arms around each other and we watched our sons play a game. Jesus is the answer to racism. The Prince of Peace is the answer to our world's problems. It's when we stop being discipled by our national news networks and we start tuning our ears to hear the voice of the Prince of Peace. You see, Jesus will provide you peace in your marriage. The Prince of Peace will provide peace at your school, at your job, in our community, in our nation. The Prince of Peace is the answer. This leads us to our impact point. It's this. Behold the King. Stare at Him. Look at Jesus. This is what we do at Christmas. We stop and we look. By faith, we peer over the manger. And we behold our king. We gather as a faith family and we celebrate God becoming man. Our king has come to be with us. This is what Christmas is all about. So this Christmas, let's let's fix our eyes upon Jesus because 
the king has come.